God is good, right? I don't know if I'm the only one who needs that reminder. I know I'm not. He is good and he is, he is working. He is moving. He cares for us. He loves us. Woo, all good, all good stuff. <clears throat> anyway, glad that you are here. This morning we're going to talk about anxiety. Yay. <laughs> Anxiousness, right? Stress and what that causes. Now, what, what causes you to stress? Just kind of do an inventory in your mind. If I were to say something like family, does that start to well up? Maybe taxes? Uh, rent? I mean, in New York City, that causes a little stress. Um, relationships? I don't know. We all, have, we all have what they call today triggers, right? Psychologists say uh, that the average person has dozens of what they call triggers, things that set you off, things that um, um, cause you to become distressed, right? Um, arousing feelings or memories, the, associ- the, uh, uh, the uh, official definition, arousing feelings or memories associated with a particular traumatic experience, right? Get triggered. I know some people get triggered when people say they're triggered. Uh, whatever it is, we get set off. We're right there waiting, right? Because we're all attacked by stress. We're all attacked by anxiety every day. And that word trigger says it all. Ready to fire, right? We're ready to go. And this is the condition of the world we live in. Just walk down the sidewalk here this morning. I'm, every Sunday morning, I try to get around it, but I've walked through the, uh, the little uh, market over here and packed with people. People are ready to fight. <laughs> They're just shopping for tomatoes. But um, we're all on that edge, especially, I, I know I always say this, especially in this city. I remember when Tony and I was one of the first trips to the city when we didn't live here. And I remember we were walking in Central Park, you know, and it was at winter, winter time, and it had snowed, and it was just beautiful. And we thought, you know, let's take a relaxing walk through Central Park and just enjoy it. And I remember as we're walking down uh, the, the main road there, Uh, All of a sudden, there was a jogger running this way across the street, and there was a jogger running on the street, and they met at kind of the same time and kind of got in each other's way just for a second. And, I mean, they both let off with some of the most foul things, calling each other names. It was like Tony and I looked at each other like, what just happened? (laughs) And we found out um, that they weren't really crazy. They were just New Yorkers, right? Once we lived here, we... We are them in some ways, right? That's, that's the battle. That's what we're trying to fight, not being so stressed out, so anxious. We live in a fallen world, right? One that's cursed. We have to work. We have to toil. Um, we all have death in our lives that touches us and um, or people that are sick and loved ones. And we see and hear the news. We see crime we see war we see pain surrounding us and we're a long way from the garden of eden right so it's everywhere trouble intersects all of our lives in some form or fashion all right that's it have a great week no i'm just kidding <laughs> but this morning there's good news right there's good news as we look in the word of god in first peter chapter 5 we're looking at this passage of scripture. It's a, let, a letter written by Peter. You remember Peter, the disciple of Jesus, one of my favorite uh, disciples there, always wanting to be 
near Jesus, but he had his own issues, right? He wrote this letter, but Peter himself walked around on edge. If you remember some of those stories where the, the soldiers tried to arrest Jesus and he cut the ear off and he kept, he even fought with Jesus a few times. Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. Um, he was a zealot, which means he was ready to fight. I mean, he was a fisherman, brash fisherman. But now he's a disciple of Christ. Now he's an elder in the church. Now he's a leader who's giving godly counsel. God had completely changed his life. And so he's writing this letter to a people who are just like us, who are dealing with anxiety. They're dealing with stress and extreme difficulty every day. And we'll talk about that in a second. But let's look at the passage. First Peter chapter 5, and I'll read the first 11 verses here. Verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those you in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's timeless. Thank you that it hits us today right where we're at in every one of our lives, because we like these first century Christians, Lord, are in a fallen world and we struggle with stress and with anxiety and coping. But God, you have a message for us. Your grace is sufficient for us. You care for us and you are speaking this morning. Lord, speak to us and may we respond in obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. So these Christians that Peter is writing to are in an anxious time as well, stressful time. There's several churches that this letter is to be uh, um, circulated through in Asia Minor at the time, which is now uh, part of Turkey. And this area has been overtaken by the Roman Empire, right? And the infamous Emperor Nero is in charge. And he has a deep hatred for Christians. If you look throughout the history books, Nero was one of the first persecutors of believers in all of in all of history, um, there's stories written. Um, Tacitus, the Roman historian, wrote that um, they used to dress these Christians in animal skins and send them uh, before wild animals so that they would be attacked. And it was like sport. It was, 
It was done at parties and they would, they would use Christians on poles and set them on fire as torches for his parties in his garden. He was proud of that. And so these Christians that he's writing to, they live in a pretty stressful time. Rome is where Peter is writing from. So he's, it's the capital. And so he knows, he knows personally the persecution. He knows the stress of living in the center of the universe at the time, uh, which is Rome. Big, busy, harsh city. And so he, he sees the pressures and the hardships of living day to day. And he also sees this persecution, this death, and this oppression that is heavy for all of them. Not just the Christians, but every citizen at the time. And so he writes to them in this context on how to deal with this. And so uh, Peter's writing to encourage these Christians. And so the, for just a little context, the first four chapters, we're in chapter 5 now, Peter encourages them to demonstrate the hope they have in Jesus. Even in spite of all the trouble, all the difficulty, demonstrate. You, you know that, that passage that I always quote from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, that says, be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you? That's in this letter. That's where he was in chapter 3. So he's saying, listen, I know it's difficult. I know there's trouble all around on every side. But in the face of persecution, in the face of horrific circumstances, whatever you're going through, live with hope demonstrate hope. And so we would say, how's that possible with all all that they're dealing with? How can we live with peace? There's so much brokenness. That's what Peter is addressing here. And so first of all, he says, the way that we cure our anxiety, right? The way that we uh, deal with this stress and this anxiousness is number one, to let go of control. He says there um, in verse 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Now, you know, in the first four verses, he was talking to the elders and the leaders, right? He was saying, listen, be this kind of leader, a shepherd, one who loves, not trying to get uh, rich, not trying to uh, manipulate people. Be the kind of shepherd that demonstrates the love of Christ, the hope of Christ. Give attention to, make sure in the church that you're doing ministry in accordance with the teaching of, uh, teachings of Christ. Make peace, speak truth. Hold accountable in a loving way. Love and care. Guard and protect the sheep. And so we may say, well, that's kind of odd that he does that first and foremost. And then goes into this casting your anxiety, casting your cares on him. No, what he's saying through this whole first part of this chapter is, listen, when we grab for power, when our pursuit is to exalt ourselves, and if you're the kind of elder or you're the kind of even spiritual leader that is first and foremost worried about building your own kingdom, you're going to struggle. You're going to miss the part about casting your cares on him because you're holding on. You're controlling everything in your life. And that's what we try to do. And we see it in the news. We see it in churches. We see it all over the place. Leaders who are entrusted uh, with the souls of people that are entrusted as a spiritual counselor and guidance Take advantage of that. Use it for personal gain. Right here, those first four verses is a beautiful example of how you should hold a pastor accountable. 
Love and care. This is not an American Idol contest. You're not looking for the guy who's the sharpest as far as can communicate and is the most energetic. And is, No, it's this. It's loving and caring for the sheep. It's being faithful to the word, faithful to the calling, who's leading by example. That's why it's so important to prayerfully and carefully consider when you go to a new church or when you uh, are seeking to call a pastor to your church or leader or as, as you get people to put people in leadership, spiritual leadership in the church. It's, it's, a, it's a critical thing. And so when we prioritize self, and so the, the pastor and the elder, first of all, that he's talking about, when my first priority is my kingdom, then I'm going to be stressed. I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to be suspicious. Someone else is trying to get it. Someone else is trying to take it. When I start building a kingdom around uh, wealth or around pride or any of those things, then, then I start to protect that and then I become anxious and I become stressed out and it shows. But he's not just talking to the elders, right? He goes on here in 5 and 6 and he's talking about all of us. He says, all of you, likewise. Elder, pastor, be the example, but all of you. Listen, self-sufficiency and control in our lives is deadly. It's deadly. It's like holding on to, you know, a, a cinder block and trying to not drown and trying to swim. And it, it just pulls us down. And so many of us refuse to let go. We have got to let go of control to allow Christ to take control. You know, I love living in New York City, but we have a certain attitude here, right? A lot of people have a certain attitude that live in New York City. I, I love these pictures like uh, New York or nowhere. Have you seen that? I love that. that. That makes a lot of sense. Or we say to other people in other parts of the country or some of our, maybe some of our family back home, yeah, you don't understand. You wouldn't understand. It's a New York thing, right? There's a little bit of pride that we have, right? Um, you got it whether you want to admit it or not if you've been living here for any period of time. Um, but it's that control. We've, we've come here. It's difficult. There's hardship everywhere. And we're making it. I paid rent this month. Proud of that. Right. There's a certain where if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Right. So there's a certain amount of hard work. We're going to we're going to make it. And some some people are wired for that. Some of us are more wired. I'm kind of like that. I'm, I don't like just sitting still. I don't like things happening. Just letting things happen to me. Like, let's let's fix this. Let's get something done. So my nat, my natural flesh is to take control and do something and not wait. Right. But other people are not that way. Other people maybe are a little more passive and they get attacked by depression or they get attacked by um, just the desire to just give up when when difficulty comes harsh things come we just want to give up but listen control is an idol no matter how good we think we are at it or we think yeah i'm just wired to control. you're not wired by god for that our flesh takes over and we say you know what i'm going to get something done i'm i'm going to take charge of my situation control is an idol and it is the very idol that is on the line when it comes to salvation. If you can't let go of control of your life, then you can't have Jesus. You can't have God if we're going to be on the throne of our lives, right? That's, that's funny because I've, I've had several folks, since people since I've uh, moved here to New York City, the idea of relationship with God is totally foreign. Religion they get, spirituality, but relationship, because relationship implies some vulnerability. And the vulnerability with God is, I've got to give up control and give him control, right? 
The idol of self is at the core of all that ails this world and all that ails us in our personal struggles as well and our stress. We just don't trust anyone else, right? We've been, we've been hurt too much, right? I've been betrayed too much. So I start to take control of my situation, my circumstances. And the bottom line is I think I know best, right? I know my situation. I have my best interests at heart. But that's the very reason we stay gripped with anxiety and with stress. We're trying to protect that. We're trying to figure out the the next move, the best way to, to hold on to what I have and how to get some more. I know that the pressure is on me to get whatever it is, whatever success, whatever survival that's going to happen, it's on me. I've got to make what is right. I've got to make right what is wrong. And so Peter is saying here, first of all, before we get into all that, we love that, we love that verse, cast all your care on me because I care. That's great, but don't forget what he says first. He says, you've got to die to yourself. You've got to give up control. He uses harsh language there. God opposes the proud. It's not just like, yeah, I'm that kind of guy. No, we've got to see it as God sees it, as sin holding on to control of my life. And so Peter's saying, you've got to stop that. We've got to stop trying to be God in your own life. You've got to try and stop fixing your life because you're never really fixing it. You weren't meant to have that place in your life. If you want to find peace, the first thing you have to do is humble yourself and admit, I don't have the answer and I can't do this on my own. That's the first step in finding salvation, right? For eternity, that's the first step. If you don't know Christ, if you've been going through life trying to figure things out on your own and to be religious on your own and figure like, I don't know, something's going to happen one day and I'll just try to be the best person. Let me get the best scorecard, uh, the best, you know, uh, the best portfolio. So by the time I get to heaven or see God face to face, you know, I've done enough good things. And it doesn't work that way. What we have to do is lay down ourselves, lay down our fear. See, what's driving us oftentimes, what keeps us from letting go of control is pride. And pride is fear. There's a scene in a, in a movie back in 1991 called The Grand Canyon. It was the name of the movie, Grand Canyon. Steve Martin is in there and some others. But anyway, there's this one scene, I won't get into it too much, where they're standing kind of in a difficult neighborhood and they're in a parking lot and he's talking to his uh, co-star there and trying to, to, to help them understand what he's feeling. And he says, he says, look around you. Everyone in this parking lot is struggling for control. And you know what it is they're trying to control? Fear. Fear of what? Fear of failure? Fear of losing? Fear of being made a fool of? Fear of being wrong? Fear of being hurt? See, in my my flesh, those pressures, that fear is constantly, constantly creeping up on me. Constantly trying to take over. Peter is saying, I've been there. Let that go. You have to kill that. You have to lay that on the altar. Lay control down. You you and I were not meant to carry our burdens alone. The Lord spoke to King Solomon. You remember there in the Old Testament, in 2 Chronicles, he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that's the very first thing. He says, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. But the very first step is if you will humble yourself. God is calling all of us. This morning, if you're carrying stress, if you're anxious, 
First and foremost, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Come before God and say, Lord, I, I recognize I cannot control this. And there's ultimately freedom in losing control, letting go of control. I remember when I was in uh, college, I've told you guys about that group I was in, the singing group, where the guy, last week I said he spoke to me and convicted me and all that great stuff. But um, I used to get on that bus, and I was a grown man. I had a family. But when we got on that bus to travel, I would just get in the back and start shooting spitballs and acting like a kid because it was so nice not to be in charge. It was so nice not being the one calling all the shots and I could just hang out and have a good time. There's ultimately freedom in letting go of control. But at the core of that is, who am I giving the control to, right? Because this aspect of control in our own lives, this aspect of pride, not only binds us up, but it also... It also uh, pushes us towards where we find relief from our anxiety, relief from our stress, because we're all looking for some relief at some point. Even if we're carrying our own stress, we want relief. And so that, that aspect of control, I even control where I'm going to find relief. And here comes the second point, which is trust God with control. I don't make the right decisions. I'm looking for, uh, I'm looking for relief in the wrong place, right? He said in verse six, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Isn't that good news? God is working to exalt you in his way. Verse seven, casting all your cares or anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, this is the rest of that sentence. All of this is the same message. Stop trusting in yourself. Whatever it is you're carrying, whatever you came in this morning carrying, whatever's burdening you, intentionally come and cast it on the Lord. Because however you're wired, whether you're good at it, whether you go, I'm just a hard worker, I got control, I can do this, or you're at your wit's end and you're like, I just want to give up and I can't do anything right, nothing's happening well for me. Both of those places, we're being destroyed. And it becomes the ambition of our life to find some relief. Have you heard of this tapping to control anxiety? I saw this on the Today Show the other day. Uh, Hoda Kotby, who we love in our house, uh, she lives in this neighborhood. Um, She does it every night before she goes to bed with her kids. She says they sit on the side of the bed. And it's just like for like a certain amount of time. It's you tap and it's supposed to there's some scientific thing that <laughs> see some of you are doing it right. Oh, seriously, let me have some of that. Um, it's supposed to lower your anxiousness, your anxiety by it's some, based in Chinese medicine or something like that. Um, but and listen, I'm not I'm not I'm not uh, coming down as a legalist on any of these things, you know, but I, 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 the point is this. We are in bad shape. If <laughs> we're all sitting around. Please, just give me some relief. We'll try anything, right? But it's not a new thing. The Buddha said, Artha, remember? He made it his mission in life to find relief for suffering. So much so that he left his wife and son. Went on a journey to find find a relief for suffering. And he said, that's why I'm going. And it's out of love for them as well because I want to find relief for their suffering as well. There must be an answer. 
And it's no wonder that the elements of Buddhism and some of uh, a lot of other religions all mixed into one are so popular today because everybody is just looking for some relief. Give me a break. Help me out. But it becomes an idol. See, we're looking for relief in all the wrong places. I'm convinced. That's why you know, we see drugs starting to be legalized. You know, everybody's saying, hey, you do you. Whatever it takes, you be happy because we all know it's tough. We're all struggling. We're all anxious. We're all stressed out. So whatever you can find, find it. It's like we're all drowning, grabbing for cinder blocks. The way in which we put our trust in Christ or in God, because he says here, cast all your anxiety on God, is to put our care, our, our trust and, and hope and faith in Jesus. That's how God reached out to us in our brokenness. He saw the world in its brokenness. He saw how we're trying to deal with our anxiety and our stress. And he reached his arms out to us through Jesus. God saw our suffering, which we caused, by the way. But he loves us so much that he did something about it. He saw us trying to bring relief to ourselves and he sent Christ. He stepped into our broken world. He took the initiative to not only pay for my sin and your sin, but to give us abundant life day by day, to give us peace. He redeems us from the shame and guilt of that, of that sin, and he demonstrates his love for us and brings us back into that loving relationship. See, God is calling to us. While we're tapping and running and trying to figure out these things, Again, I'm not saying you're sinning if you're trying to the tapping thing. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if the first place that we run are all these techniques and all these other ideas, then those are idols. Whatever is before when we come to Jesus, whatever we have before coming to God, that is an idol. There's a beautiful thing here. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Man, that is mind-blowing and encouraging because he cares for you. Listen, what he's saying there, he's not saying, yeah, he cares for the just blanket of humanity. He cares for all his creation. He does. He cares for you. He knows you. He knows how you think. He knows when you've been hurt. He knows when you've been betrayed. He's, he knows when you've made the, the, the rebellious, most terrible decisions that you've made in your life. He knows all of that, and he cares for you. He's reaching to you and to me. He reached through Christ, and he's saying, bring it all to me. Bring it all to me. I don't know how the gospel message, the Christian message, has gotten so twisted when, in fact, God says over and over again, Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden. Come, take my yoke upon you. For God so loved the world, and God demonstrated his love through Christ. He cares for us so. And he says, come to me. Not because he wants to prove us wrong and lord over us. You know, and all, all the instruction that God gives us in his word, like what he said at the beginning here for elders, loving, shepherd, that's a reflection of him. That's his personality. That's who he is. He stands with open arms. Come to me. Stop carrying that on your own. He's qualified. You know, I have a, I have a few degrees. I got a new uh, office. I have a few degrees on the wall there, right? Just, just a couple. You know, I get pretty proud of that sometimes, you know, and think about all the schooling. Well, 
I didn't realize when I got this new office, there's two offices on either side of me. It's a little suite. There's three offices there. Mine's in the middle. So I just wanted to see who these people were. Well, they're both psychotherapists. They both have so many letters next to their name. They're really smart. I mean, they're like published in all these magazines and stuff. So I'm just like, I was trying to think about what to put on my front door, you know. And you look at theirs and it's like, I just thought, you know what? It's probably best if I just kind of sneak in and sneak out. (laughs) It was a little intimidating, right? But here's the thing. God is qualified, more than qualified. Jesus is able to carry whatever it is you're carrying. Whatever it is that's sinking you and you're burdened with, you're stressed with, he is qualified. Isaiah described him as this, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That's what's available to you and to me. That's who has his arms open to you this morning. Because when I'm living my life carrying my own burdens, first of all, it's an offense to him. It is an offense to God when I seek to carry them on my own and solve them on my own. I'm not qualified, but he is. Because what that does is it results in stress, suspicion, fear, depression, anxiety. And then I begin to look for relief apart from Christ so I can manage my anxiety. How do you manage your anxiety? Vacations? That used to be one of my favorite things all year long to be planning vacations. But is that where you run to? Is that where you're seeking relief? Drinking? Drugs? I th- like I said before, I think this is a, a big reason why we're seeing things change and things being legalized because everybody knows, hey, just fix yourself. Religion, reading, social media, all of that becomes a sort of therapy for ourselves because we're not running to Jesus first and foremost. Notice he uses this language, cast rather than lay he's saying cast intentionality come and cast do it on purpose matthew eleven twenty eight. jesus said come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest that's a promise this morning when you're overwhelmed and broken you're struggling jesus says come cast it on me Get alone with Jesus. Realize that He is with you. Even say it out loud. I said it out loud this morning while I was walking through the beautiful market. I said it out loud. I said, Lord, I cast all my cares on you this morning. (laughs) Please take them. All my anxiety, all my anxiousness. We've got to start taking God up on His promises and stop seeing this book as just another self-help book. Or just another good book that we can take or leave. It is the very words of God calling to you saying, cast it, come, let go. And it's not just moments of despair. We all, we all go through difficulty. We all have different moments of despair. Some, some harder than others. But he calls us to a relationship every day to live that way. To live in such a way that I know that I am not alone. It's a relationship. And so it's a daily giving my cares, my anxiety to Christ, laying all my burdens down. 
Because we don't realize it, but so much of our life is controlled and led by trying to navigate our fear and our stress. Hebrews 12, 2. Fix your eyes on Christ. In the struggle, in the joy. Live life that way. I'm going to have Christ in the forefront of everything else. And then I may have to tap a little bit. I may have to go on vacation. Whatever, that's fine. But put Jesus first. He will sort the rest out. He will guide and direct you through the rest of your life. Jesus continued there in that Matthew chapter 11 uh, in verse 29. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You see this process? You see this relationship? Walk with me. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is that the kind of life you're living? For me, most of the time, it's a struggle. He uses this picture of a yoke, you know, two, two ox that, oxen uh, that take this uh, yoke and, and they carry it together. He says, my, my yoke is light. You know why? Because he's doing all the carrying. He's carrying the load, and he's carrying me. So, Peter says, humble yourselves. Put away the idol of pride and control and cast your cares on Jesus. But it's interesting, he goes on and we, we see that he's calling us to be equipped for the battle. There is a battle happening. There is an attack happening. In verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Whoa, that's intense language there. He's saying, be alert. Be aware of what's going on, because sometimes what we deal with is our own flesh. We're dealing with our own uh, sinfulness, but also at times there is a spiritual battle going on. There are attacks on us by Satan. Satan is real and he is active in trying to make you and I fall. He's working to see you live not in freedom, not in the freedom of Jesus and his love, but in bondage and in oppression to fear. See, scripture tells us that spiritual warfare is a thing. And although Satan, he doesn't have the power of Christ, right, or of God. But the Bible tells us that he does have influence in the world. We live in a fallen world that continues to reject God and Satan has a foothold to a certain degree. Revelation 12 says that, uh, describes Satan as the deceiver of the whole world. He's seeking to deceive you just to get you off a little bit. A lion prowling, seeing whom he can devour. He's active. Not necessarily physically, although sometimes that's a possibility, but to frustrate, to dishearten, to deceive. He wants you to think you have no hope. He loves nothing more for for you and I to abandon our faith. So some of the things that you're going through in life, maybe they're happening in your life right now, they may be an attack of Satan, maybe spiritual warfare trying to bound, get you bound by your fear and by pain. But Jesus has overcome. We're free in Christ. We, we walk in victory over Satan because of the blood of Christ. 
How does, how does Satan work? He works through doubt, right? Scripture tells us he's the deceiver. Remember in, in the Garden of Eden when he said to Adam and Eve, he's like, did, did God really say that? Did he really say you couldn't have fruit? I mean, he's constantly working, seeking to deceive us, to get us off track. Is the gospel true? Are you sure about that? Is it worth it to live for Christ? I mean, you said some prayers and I don't know, does he even answer your prayers? Does he care about you? He's the father of lies, Jesus said in John chapter 8. Some of the lies he tells us, you're not good enough. God doesn't love you. You've gone too far now. He doesn't want to hear from you again. You you did that sin 10 times in the last month. He doesn't want to hear from you again. Sin isn't destructive. It doesn't affect anyone. You can handle this situation on your own. It's not just spiritual things, but relational, just things, everyday things. Nobody cares about you. However, he can push us off into a corner to isolate us. You're alone. You're a failure. If these people knew who you were, if these people knew where you've been, you'll never be good enough. C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters, a book he wrote years ago, said there's nothing, and this is, this is uh, Satan, this is uncle talking to the nephew, right? Um, demon about us. He says, there's nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy, his God. There's nothing like anxiety and suspense and uncertainty to barricade us, to put up uh, isolation between us and God. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit reminds us, Jesus never leaves or forsakes us. He's not going anywhere. Satan can't elbow out God in your life. The Holy Spirit is with you. Christ has defeated Satan. He's running around with a losing proposition. Those that are under the blood of Christ are free from him, have the power to turn away from him. Satan's goal is to separate us from the love of God. But here in Christ, let me remind you, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Of Christ, but he will try to tell you that. So Peter's just saying, be alert. There's something happening. You know, most of us say, yeah, well, I got this. You know, we don't think with spiritual thoughts. We don't see with spiritual eyes. There is a spiritual, there's spiritual warfare going on. Satan, his demons, the evil uh, influence is everywhere all around us. He says, be sober-minded, alert, informed, intelligent. Think correctly. Get your mind right about what is happening. How do I deal with that? The Word of God. We talked about that last week. Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Be alert by being in the Word of God. Be watchful, aware. And he also says ways that we deal with these attacks. In verse 9, he says, resist him firm in your faith. The real culprit for anxiety is lack of faith. Jesus said over and over again, if you remember, he talked to his disciples. They'd get scared in the boat. They'd get scared over here. We can't do this. We're not going to be able to do that. What did he say over and over again? Oh, you little faith. We always come back to this faith because that's, that's what it is to humble myself under the mighty hand of God. I am putting my faith in him and not in me. So um, he says, resist 
Resist him firm in your faith. Resist, that word means to push against, to refuse or to fight back against. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, there's a war going on. There's a spiritual war going on. Now, we can't blame the devil for every bad decision that we make because our flesh is inclined to do that over and over again very well on its own. But Satan is moving. He is seeking to get us off track and he would love nothing more for to get us in a dark corner with no hope. So strengthen your faith. Firm up your faith. Feed your faith. We talked about this last week about being in the word and casting my cares on him. Listen, spend time in the word, spend time in prayer. It's a real thing. God works through it. And then finally, find rest in the promise. And he gives us a promise here in verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Listen, life is short. We'll stand face to face with God very soon. And for those in Christ, the ultimate peace is that at the end of this life, when my last heartbeat takes place and I step over into eternity, I will see God face to face and I will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because I did everything perfect, but because I trusted in Jesus. Because I casted, I casted, I cast my cares on him. I cast my sin on him. I cast my life on him. And so we can have eternal rest. And that's what he says. He says, there come, there's coming an eternal glory in Christ. But he also says, there's hope in this life. He will, he will do four things he mentions here and then, then we'll close. He says, he will restore you. That word restore means to repair or to heal. It's also used... Um, in kind of um, mending nets in certain parts of Scripture. So He will restore you. He will heal you, what you're going through. He will confirm you. He will make you stable. He'll give you peace in the midst of the storm. doesn't mean He'll take away every storm, but He will be there to knit you back together, and He will give you peace in the middle of it. Restore, confirm, strengthen He who began a good work in you will complete it. He will continue to grow you, to give you the ability to survive and to be sustained in the struggles and in the next one that comes and in the next one because in this fallen world, we will have struggles. He will grow us in our faith and finally establish. He will settle us, ground us as in one planted in concrete. He will give us that firm foundation. And there's one final aspect of this. I know I'm over just a little bit, but it's this. As long as we're caught up in our own anxiety and stress and that's all we're thinking about is taking over us, how are we ever going to be used by God in someone else's life? Charles Spurgeon used an illustration uh, of a man who comes to move your furniture, but he carries in a giant backpack of his own. And he complains that, He finds it difficult to do the job of moving your furniture. And he keeps complaining about that and he can't pick up anything. Wouldn't you suggest that he would find it easier 
If he had laid his own burden aside so that he could help carry yours, in the same way we can't do the work, God's work, when we're weighed down and obsessed with our own burdens and worries. That's why he says, release control, give it to me, trust me, walk in faith, and let me use you in the life of those around you. We are not called to live as victims, right? But to walk in the joy of the Lord, even in the struggle. Let go. Give it to God. Be equipped for the battle and find rest. This is an intentional faith. God's plan for your life is not to just live in constant reaction to your circumstances. Your circumstances will change. There'll be good days. There'll be bad days. There'll be trials. There'll be tragedy. We all will deal with that. But God has reached into the world, into time to make it possible for you and I to have peace. Fix our eyes on Jesus. C.S. Lewis said, God can't give us peace and happiness apart from himself because there is no such thing. So we try to get our lives in order. We try to get everything just right and then come to Jesus. There is no just right without Jesus. Come to him, press into him more. You may be saying, well, listen, I need like a very practical, give me some cool thing to think about. No, come to Jesus. When you leave here, as you're walking down the street, talk with Jesus. When you get home, get on your knees, open the Bible, talk to Jesus. Press into God's word. He's calling you this morning to loosen your grip. Philippians, I'll close with this. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, we all have the cares and the concerns. So right there what he's saying is, don't be anxious about anything. All that stuff you're carrying, that thing that you're holding on to, you're carrying... He paints the picture right here. Don't hold on to it. Lay it at the feet of Jesus and hold on to him. Make that the goal of your life. Make that the focus of your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. God, thank you that if this old world were to take our last breath today, we would stand before you and all your promises face to face we would see that they're all true. We would hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because we didn't go through life focused on ourselves, focused on protecting ourselves, so focused on um, just encouraging ourselves, but we focused on dying to ourselves, that we might be alive in Christ, that we might live life and experience the adventure of this life in seeing our Savior over and over again. Deliver us. Direct us. Encourage us. When the world looks on and doesn't even doesn't understand, peace that passes understanding, passes logic, it's beyond what makes sense. You give that, God, for those of us who will let go humble ourselves under your mighty hand. So this morning, Lord, we come to you and we do that. We ask you for the strength, the strength to be weak. Lord, help us to let go 
because we know that you care for us. We believe your promises that you love us and you're working things out. You're moving around us, Lord. May we live that faith. May we live in that, Lord, not just say it. Pray all this in Jesus' name.